0: In looking at impact, one of the things that is driving that is the acknowledgement that we are existing in a time of scarce resources. We're limited time, limited money. Academia and public finances are increasingly becoming squeezed. And so politicians, policymakers, funding agencies are increasingly wanting evidence of impact to justify spending their money. And in that context, we also have to flag any bad research that is going on, which is having a negative impact, because then we don't want to be allocating those resources to it. The ideal situation is that we identify the research that really is having a positive impact for society and then direct resources and time towards those.
1: To Advancing Sustainable Solutions, the IIIW podcast. We are the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University, and this episode will be hosted by Sophie Sandin and Stephen Curtis.
2: Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. You know, we're really excited in this month's episode, we wanna celebrate our 3000th download of our podcast. You know, when Sophie and I started this journey, of course we had a vision for what we wanted to contribute with the podcast, but I think I can speak for both of us in saying that I don't think we realized how much we would learn and grow in producing each episode for you. So truly, thank you so much for your continued support.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And now, with the university semester coming to an end, this episode also marks the end of our first season of the podcast. Stephen and I look towards the summer months as a period for pause, reflection and, most importantly, relaxation. But there are still some weeks to go and some more things to do before we close this academic year. And in this episode, we thought it fitting to turn towards ourselves and the work that we do within academia and with this podcast. To explore and discuss ways to bridge academia and society. Because this is really the essence of this podcast. To advance sustainable solutions. By bringing current sustainability research to you, our listeners. But of course, there are other ways as well for academia to contribute to greater discussions. I know that you have some interesting things going on, Stephen.
2: Yeah, so right now I'm actually preparing to attend two different conferences. In June, I'll be traveling to the Netherlands to participate in the sixth international workshop for the sharing economy. And in July, I'll attend the new business models conference in Berlin. And at both conferences, I'm going to present my research regarding value co-creation in the sharing economy. Uh, What I mean by this is instead of traditional business models where value is largely created by the business, for a consumer, Uh, in the sharing economy we see that uh, happening a little bit differently, where value is created by the business but together with somebody that owns a good and somebody that wants to use it through sharing. And this is what I mean by the process of value co-creation, that there are multiple actors that are engaging in key activities um, to create value for everybody involved. This is something that we discussed in our most recent episode on uh, sharing scooters and sustainability. And of course, I will travel by ground transportation to both of these conferences and offset my CO2 emissions in doing so.
1: And Stephen and I will also once again prepare for a course we teach together here at the E. It's in our master's program called Environmental Management and Policy, and the course we teach is called Environmental Science and the Anthropocene, where we discuss ecological concepts in relation to the impact we humans have on our Earth.
2: In this way, we can say that academia seeks to make a positive impact in three ways, through the research that we conduct and publish in academic journals, through the presentations and contributions that we make to the academic community at conferences, and also through education.
1: And certainly academia can be criticized for being closed and isolated from the real world. You may have heard the figure of speech, Ivory Tower, to designate an environment of intellectual pursuit disconnected from the practical concerns of everyday life. Academia is increasingly criticized for its privatization and commercialization of knowledge withdrawn from real-world application.
2: So in so many ways, our ambition with this podcast is to ensure that the research that we conduct here at the IIEE is not locked up in academic journals making it inaccessible to you or anyone outside of academia. Even more, we want to make our research meaningful and tangible for you, our listeners, that don't have the time or the ambition to read an overly wordy academic text.
1: So, in celebrating 3,000 downloads, as well as the end of the first season of the podcast, we wanted to pause and reflect on the impact we want to make with our podcast, especially with the growing call for academia to do more to increase research impacts. In this episode, we will reflect on conversations ongoing here at the Triple among staff, students, and alumni regarding the impact of our research in society.
2: Want to stay up to date with the latest from advancing sustainable solutions? Well, Sophie and I invite you to join our newsletter. Each month, we will send out a notification when we release new episodes, as well as resources connected to the theme for each new episode. Become a member of our active listeners community by signing up on our website, www.iiiee.lu.se podcast.
1: And we want to hear from you. You can now email Stephen and me at podcast at iiiiee.lu.se. As we start planning for the next season of Advancing Sustainable Solutions, what ideas do you have for future episodes? What do you want to learn more about? What do you appreciate about our podcast? And what can we improve? Your feedback is appreciated.
2: In 2018, At the IIIE, we employed 47 full-time staff, including researchers, postdocs, PhD students, and administrative staff. We taught 138 master's students and published 56 peer-reviewed articles. We had an annual turnover of 43.9 million Swedish crowns, which is equivalent to about 4 million euros or 4.6 million US dollars.
1: But the IIIE is just a small institute part of Lund University. If we move up a level, Lund University employed more than 6,600 full-time staff and educated more than 26,500 full-time students. The total revenue for Lund University was 8.245 billion Swedish crowns. That is approximately 76.6 million euros or 85.5 million US dollars.
2: So you can see how quite quickly this scales up. And statistics at a national or international level become increasingly difficult to find or even to interpret. But for example, in 2014, if we only are looking at Sweden, the total investment in research and development totaled 40 billion Swedish kronor, which is equivalent to 3.7 billion euro or 4.1 billion US dollars. We're talking about extreme sums of money being spent on research and education. Now, it's not to say that these numbers are important or anything that we think you should remember. We simply want to demonstrate that in how we think about research impact, it's largely assessed through very quantitative numbers. But these metrics don't say anything about the quality of our research or academia's impact in a a broader societal context. Nonetheless, there's huge sums of money that are being spent in facilitating research and education globally.
1: So where does this money come from? At our institute, our research is conducted as part of projects, which are funded by external authorities. Often, decisions on which projects that are funded are connected to political and societal goals and targets. The funding agencies can be Swedish authorities or the European Union, or come from partnerships in collaboration with private and public actors. Altogether, this means that the funding received for research is forming part of something larger, some overarching missions or visions about what the research should contribute to, which often are political in nature.
2: Indeed, national and international actors set goals for research and development, often associated with large research programs. So for example, you may have heard about the program Horizon 2020. This is the largest EU innovation and research program ever to date. This program allocates almost 80 billion euros over a seven-year period for research and innovation intended to contribute to smart sustainable and inclusive growth and jobs notice how there's an emphasis on economic growth and employment but how do we know that research really yields the promised or anticipated outcomes associated with these lofty societal goals
1: yeah so this is where research evaluation comes in and We want to start with saying that research evaluation is tricky, as all kinds of evaluations are. Now think about it. In an evaluation, you need to decide which questions you want to answer, which sounds easier than it is. Take a research project, for example. Research has been conducted for, say, three years, and now you want to know how it all worked out. Which question do you ask? Stephen. If you were to evaluate a research project carried out in, say, the sharing economy which you are working in, mm-hmm. which question would you ask? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I I don't know. I guess I'd have to first ask myself, what do I want to evaluate? Yeah. So that's a good starting point. Um, but even then, I'm trying to think, like, what question would I ask? Um, maybe I'd ask, what are the total number of people engaged in the research? But that does, like, I guess that doesn't say anything about if the conducted research was useful. I know that another metric in academia is the number of citations, but I mean, this is something that I struggle with. That doesn't really say anything about the quality of research or whether the research was useful in any applied sense. I guess it's, it's really tough to answer that question.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is <laughs> a, a perfect way to describe just how complex it is. Which question is the evaluation supposed to answer? Many research evaluations turn to assessing, for example, research quality. Was the research of high quality? But then, how do you measure quality? Other evaluations, they may look at the processes and the administration behind the research projects. Did it encourage collaboration or facilitate knowledge dissemination? Then, whom do you ask to know? Other evaluations look at goal attainment. Has the goals that were set up for the research been fulfilled? Then comes the question of whether these goals actually tell something about the success of the project or the research. Are goals that were formulated years ago still relevant? And then there is of course the question of research impact. Which are the actual impact from the research on actors in society? And you know what I'm going to say already. How do we measure impacts? All of these are valid questions to evaluate, but all of them come with new issues to address.
2: Yeah okay, so I certainly see how evaluation can be a bit tricky. So Sophie, being in the field, so what do we do when we finally have settled on the question that we have for our evaluation?
1: Yeah, then comes the need to decide how we want to go about to answering the question. Which method should we use and who do we need to involve? In evaluation theory, there are many different methods to choose from, both qualitative, where you use, for example, interviews and case studies and so on, to gain information about how something has worked out. And there's the quantitative methods, where evaluators can use, for example, models, calculations, to assess what has been yielded through a policy or a research program. In research evaluation, in particular, it is very common to use something called bibliometrics to assess research impacts, which includes to look at the number of articles that a researcher or a research project has published in scientific journals, the journal's impact factors, the number of citations of these articles, and so on.
2: And then, of course, you have to deal with reality.
1: Oh, yes, true. There's a reality as well. (laughs)
2: And we know that reality is complex. Any evaluation will always attempt to provide insights about how the thing being evaluated has operated positively or negatively in context. Of course, the complexity comes from the number of interrelationships that exist in a complex system, for example, in our complex society, like other research projects, conflicting and changing policy rules and regulations, competing actors and, of course, the interaction among us as humans, and so on and so on. Because of this complexity, there is a tension between thoroughness and rigor of an evaluation and what is feasible or possible given available data and resources. What assumptions are made? What is the scale or scope of an evaluation? What are the applicable parameters? And at what point does the evaluation result become too complex, and at what point does it cease to be useful?
1: Yeah, this is a great point. And that also leads to another interesting aspect in evaluation, which is how is the evaluation results intended to be used? Because you can evaluate something, research or policy, for many different reasons. Scholars with evaluation theory identify a range of different areas of use. Perhaps you want to evaluate to make something better. This is called instrumental or enlightening use. Perhaps you want to evaluate to ensure a wider audience that you are doing the right things. This is legitimizing use. Or perhaps you want to evaluate something because you want to keep the audience's eyes away from something else that you wish to remain unscrutinized. This is called tactical use. I spend a lot of time thinking about all of these issues related to evaluation, since my research concerns how we should go about evaluating both research and policy in order to generate the necessary knowledge to assist decision makers, when deciding upon which research to fund, which policy instruments to implement, how to design research programs and policies, to move from incremental small-step improvements towards the more radical changes that current sustainability challenges call for.
2: I'm really glad that we're discussing evaluation in this episode. In particular, I think just as a PhD student at the Institute, sometimes I lose sight of how big and massive academia is as an institution. Like we said, there's so much money wrapped up in this and it's so important for us to take a step back and evaluate why are we doing this and how is the money being used and what is the impact of of this in a broader context.
1: And especially in the broader context of sustainability.
2: Exactly, I think that this is so important for us to as sustainability researchers to continue to reflect on. And of course, Lund University and many other universities around the world seek to use a range of different methods to assess impact. So for example, Sophie mentioned bibliometrics to assess the impact that research is having. So bibliometrics is quite a quantitative way to assess impact, as well as other metrics such as the number of PhD students or master's students or uh, turnover or research funding and so on and so on. But notice, these are a lot of numbers. They're quite quantitative measurements to infer the impact of research. Money, number of students, number of publications. But what is the impact of this? And how do we say anything about the quality of publications, education, or research?
1: Every year, master students here at the IIEE take on a range of different interesting topics for their master thesis. Meet Ed.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Ed Dickinson from the UK. Uh, Formerly an accountant and forensic investigator, changing career to work in sustainability. Um, Just almost finishing up on the EMP programme at the IIIIEE.
1: Edward Dickinson is just about to start his thesis work and will, very fittingly for us, be investigating how to assess research impacts and the role of knowledge mobilisation experts. That is, specific people with the task or expertise to disseminate research beyond academia.
2: We sat down with Ed to discuss research evaluation in general and how academia can become even better at increasing its impact in society. So, maybe that's a good first question, Ed. Um, Why is it important for us to consider research impact from an academic perspective?
0: Well, I think you've got so many kind of pressing sustainability problems whereby we have very limited time in order to implement them, and academia and research is the kind of the sector which is generating a lot of these solutions. And so I think it's in all of our interest to make sure that these solutions are implemented as widely and quickly as possible. But the fact is we need to establish how that is done and how that knowledge is communicated. Ultimately, that gives you a, a sense of accountability and transparency and understanding where knowledge is going.
2: But I imagine that's the hardest thing to do, right? To actually oh. formulate how do you evaluate research impact?
0: Massively. To be honest, I think that challenge was so daunting for a lot of time that um, academia didn't really engage with the issue because it is so difficult. Um, However, what people are now increasingly saying, and you have this thing called the Impact Agenda, which is a movement in several countries to try and promote looking at the impact of research, is to say, whilst it is difficult, it is still worthwhile engaging in, and we can at least take those first steps in trying to understand where does knowledge go once it gets produced by institutes like this one.
2: Yeah, so maybe do you have some examples of how research impact is being evaluated at present, in academia?
0: So, uh, the UK is kind of leading the world in this and had its first national assessment of research impact in 2014, and it's called the UK Research Excellence Framework. And what it did is said to all universities that they had to produce case studies which kind of explained the impacts that their research had had. And these were on a very standardized template, you know, there were certain instructions, but it was very much left open to universities to claim what they wanted. And then the extent of the impacts that they were claiming would um, basically secure them twenty percent of the overall funding. Um, and these impacts are extremely varied. And I looked at just a sample of them from a sustainability research perspective. And it's in terms of we produced systems for businesses to improve their operations. We produced toolkits for local councils. We produced or informed policy debates. So there's a huge number of ways that you know impact has been claimed, and then. Those claims or case studies are evaluated by kind of a central body, which then determines and creates basically a ranking system of one to four in terms of how strong they are. And what you're seeing is other countries are now following that process. So Australia's just concluded its first national assessment. You've got the Netherlands doing similar. And then also in the countries like Sweden and Canada, you're starting to see impacts being included as part of funding requirements for research.
2: Okay, so now there's a focus on research impact but what are the metrics that are used then to actually evaluate that? I mean, one is, of course, dissemination. Yeah. What's the reach of one's research? But are there metrics that are also looking at the quality of engagement or the usefulness of, the, of research in an, in an applied sense in society? How, yeah. how is that then looked upon?
0: So at the moment, it's quite hard to see if there is really anything in respect to those metrics. Um, previously, uh, academia has very much relied on bibliometric data in terms of citations and what journals' work has been published in. But I think there's an acknowledgement that that is quite restricted and limited and doesn't really capture a lot of impacts that are happening. Um, When the UK embarked on its research excellence framework, they looked at different ways that they could try and measure impacts. And the challenge in basically being able to develop metrics that they could have was so great that they decided on a case study approach, which relies on solicited testimony from the research users. The benefit of that is that by talking to research users you are getting third-party, independent claims of impact. However, the extent to which that is audited and verified um, is unclear. There's certainly no standardisation and different institutions are doing different levels of work to demonstrate their impacts and trying to develop uh, in-house infrastructure to be able to measure these kind of things. But obviously the Balancing Act is doing that in a way which doesn't place a great burden on researchers.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the things that many researchers fear is that uh, by evaluating research impact, in fact, it's just uh, more of a burden on one's own time and taking away the ability to conduct the research that is so necessary in society. Sure, sure. So whose role or responsibility should research impact or the evaluation of research impact fall on?
0: I think it's, uh, there's a couple of answers there. And just to say in terms of the, um, the impact on researchers, there are risks and dangers that we need to be aware of, but there are also opportunities. So a key one is the motivational aspect to look at impact. If someone's working on a project for two years, devotes a lot of their time and their life to looking at something, it can be incredibly demotivating to uh, realize that that research has basically been put away into a filing cabinet and never looked at. And conversely, it's extremely motivating if they can see that it prompts a discussion, that it leads to policy changes or at least prompts a wider debate. So I think by understanding impact and trying to really measure it and report it, it can actually be a fantastic tool for motivating researchers. But yes, there are dangers in terms of the burden that you place upon researchers. In terms of who should do it, uh, there's different approaches. I'm hoping that my thesis is actually going to look at that in terms of the infrastructure that currently exists and try to identify best practices. So
2: what could an individual researcher do to increase their research impact? What are some impact pathways that might be tangible for someone to consider
0: so there's a huge range i mean i looked at 15 case studies that have been produced by uk universities and of those 15 case studies i was able to identify 26 different impact pathways and i really feel like that's not even scratching the surface one of the pleasant things to come out of that was that actually the quality of the underlying research still came out as the most dominant way of actually achieving impact you write something really good, it gets in the right journals, and then there will be some more motivated, say policymakers, businesses that are looking into those sources to find information. But you've got things like just a real off a list, you have uh, having workshops with users, you have producing guides, online content, engaging with political parties, which I know is a bit of a a, uh, a worry in terms of scientists who always need to want to appear independent, but providing consultation, attending debates, speaking at conferences, Uh, circulating research on social media there's a huge range of different ways that uh, researchers can have uh, impact Um, and I think more and more we're realizing that that conventional route of just publishing putting in a journal and crossing your fingers isn't enough and I suppose another point to stress is that different impact pathways will appeal to the strengths of different researchers there isn't kind of a one size that fits all Um, and you know I don't think We can be saying to, say, some older academics who might not be comfortable with social media, that you now need to go out there and start tweeting your research. It's just, it's a burden for them. and It's not what they want. But like maybe that because they're more experienced and prestige, they're great to put into a conference and have speaking or attending a debate where ideas can spread. And I think interested in, but I think one of the interesting anecdotal things I'm hearing from researchers is that Actually, some of the key impact pathways or little leverage points that uh, mean that you have impact your research can often be quite inconsequential and minor. It's um, circulating a PowerPoint presentation alongside your research and then the municipality that's stressed for time just looks at your PowerPoint or bumping into someone at a conference and actually having a conversation which leads you to more meetings and being able to present your work. Sometimes quite minor things which it almost doesn't seem fair that that should be the make or break for whether your research has impact. But unfortunately it sounds like that is actually the reality. And so if we can acknowledge that and kind of maybe identify where those pressure points are, then we have a better chance to find more impact. Mm-hmm. A couple of things that uh, researchers are incorporating at the planning stage is trying to identify decision makers, because obviously you want to get your research in front of them, identifying people who are well connected and are able to spread the knowledge on your behalf. And quite pleasingly, the third group was marginalized groups who might have always get ignored, and making sure that you include them as well, because it means you're incorporating all voices and actually you may have more impacts than other research which might miss them out.
2: I'm curious if research impact is always good. And, no. and how do you understand what type of impact is being made and and for whom
0: I think that's a good question to ask and there is an explicit acknowledgement that impacts can be negative as well as positive um obviously the the conversation at the moment is very much focusing on the positive side of things but that doesn't mean that we should ignore the negative side but there are risks there and there are um sometimes perverse incentives that are created by uh, for instance aligning incentives with impact um, to give an example there is a risk that you incentivize researchers to go for quite easy short research so that you can accumulate lots of easy to measure impacts and actually sometimes the research that we all really need as a society can take years and years and builds on you know the knowledge that's already been accumulated by others
1: yeah that's a really good point and i it makes me think of you know one of I guess the million dollar question in evaluation is are we doing things right and are we doing the right things? Mm -hmm. And I think you need to always place these two as parallels to each other and maybe also try to merge them and also think about how different initiatives that we do in research and also in policy, how they can align towards not locking ourselves or pursuing uh, being path dependent, for example, to think of where is this path taking us and how can we break it if needed?
0: And just having that conversation, I think, is half the battle, to be honest, because I don't think we're going to maybe in the near future reach an end point where we're able to effectively and accurately measure the impacts that we're having with all our work. There's just so many challenges involved in terms of time lags and causality, but at least encouraging a mindset and a process from the very start of the planning of research to consider what impacts may this have or who do we want to be reading this research at the end and how do we make sure that this gets in front of them?
2: Uh, Honestly, some fantastic contributions. Is there anything else that you'd want to add um, that you think would be important for our listeners to to take away in conceptualizing research impact or thinking about the role of academia in society and so on?
0: well from selfish point of view i'd say um get in touch if your organization is interested in uh, participating in the survey that i'm going to send around asking research organizations what your impact is um, i'd like that survey to go as wide as possible and collect as many views as possible and also like to conduct interviews with people to understand like how they are trying to have impact you know in the wider research space um but then secondly i would uh, just challenge people to ask their organizations, what impact are we having? Why are we doing this? Um, Not in a negative way, but just to make sure that things go in the right direction. Um, An alumni from this institute uh, who I reached out to said that he asked that question of uh, a researcher who'd been working for 30 years. And he said he just received a look of cold disdain from that particular (laughs) researcher. But, you know, we have to ask those difficult questions. And that includes of ourselves. Like, you know, you did research for two years. Did it have any impact? No. Well, okay, that's unfortunate. I'm sure that happens a lot, but let's learn from that. So we don't make the same mistake again. We have to address the elephant in the room sometimes. And unfortunately, some really good research is having no impact whatsoever. And sometimes that's because of things completely out of our control. But sometimes we can control it.
1: I am, uh, I am curious now, Ed, you are about to finish your master's program here at the Triple IWE and as such you will also then probably go out into society and apply your academic knowledge and skills you have acquired. Hopefully, yeah. So how do you see yourself then engaging and being bridging academia and society?
0: Well, I think this program um, has a real emphasis on creating knowledge brokers and just as in the discussion of research impact, we're talking about their importance and they are identified as one of the ways that you can help research to have impact you also see the value of knowledge brokers in a whole range of businesses it was very apparent that there is silo mentality is very dominant in a lot of these organizations and that one department doesn't necessarily know what another department is doing um, and i think there is scope for people who can kind of bridge that gap sometimes from the technical experts don't know how to communicate necessarily their ideas or maybe it's a case of being that middle point between the board and the engineers or, or what have you. I would hopefully go for a role where there's a kind of strategic element and, or being able to bring people together and push things in a particular direction um, because God knows we need to move as quickly and fast as possible given the sustainability challenges that we face.
1: Been discussing with ed over the course of weeks and months to support him in his thesis research we are excited to follow his progress as he mentioned if you're interested in taking part in his research you can visit our website www.iiiwe.lu.se backslash podcast and sign up for our newsletter we will provide information about how to participate in the coming weeks and once again thanks to ed for sitting down with us
2: Yes, and Ed will be joining our ever-growing group of IIEE alumni, master's students who have graduated from our master's program and are now working in the field of sustainability all around the world. Last week, we hosted the biannual IIEE Alumni Conference, a two-day event where our alumni returned to the Institute to meet, reminisce, network, and most importantly, bridge academia and society.
1: Throughout our work with the podcast and in discussions with staff, students and alumni from the IWE, we see there is a need for academia to continue to strive to find new impact pathways for our research.
2: Earlier this spring, I attended a research impact workshop hosted by Mark Reed of the UK. The first thing he asked us as participants to think on is why do we conduct research? For me, especially researching sustainably related issues, I see my research as very normative, challenging existing societal practices and institutions, in particular surrounding consumption. Next, we were asked to define research impact. What does research impact mean to us? Beyond the number of downloads or citations, impact is the good that researchers do in the world. Some examples of impact include social, environmental, economic, cultural, behavioral, emotional, processual, etc. etc. Then, he posed the hardest question yet. How do you evaluate impact?
1: And what were his suggestions?
2: He had some specific suggestions. Of course, impact can be measured by reach, the number of people engaging with research outputs. But this doesn't say anything about how the research is used by those engaging with the research results. So one might also evaluate the significance of the research. How is the research used and what impact did it have on those that engage with it?
1: We celebrate the reach of the podcast with more than 3,000 downloads. But we would love to hear from you about the significance of the podcast in your life. Have you thought differently about buying gifts for holidays and birthdays?
2: Have you thought twice before flying for a vacation? Or maybe you have a greater understanding about experimentation in cities or the circular economy?
1: Feel free to get in touch with us. You can now email us at dot or engage with us on any of our social media channels. Finally, you can now join our newsletter and be a member of our active listeners community.
2: Now, we wanted to take just a moment in our final episode this season to reflect on the significance of the podcast for us, as well as the IIIWE. I think the podcast is starting conversations at our department about how we communicate our research. Individual researchers, projects, and the Institute are working more with disseminating research and evaluating the impact we're having. Personally, I have to say that I'm really proud and happy of the podcast thus far. I think it's important that the IIEE is taking a step towards increasing the accessibility and visibility of our research, in particular, through the podcast. And I appreciate their continued support through this process. There's so much good sustainability research going on in the world, not only here within these walls at the IWE, but in academia worldwide. So we need to continue to actively seek to engage with sustainability research, use it and act upon it in our everyday lives.
1: Yes, because research impact does not happen all on its own. We, you who listen and I are all key players when it comes to staying up to date, to be curious, To challenge current ways of doing things, to agree and disagree, to join the discussions, to initiate discussions in our communities, offices, sports clubs, what have you. As part of the academic sphere we are addressing the sustainability problems that we are facing today. Each person from his or her specific perspective, but without you, without research impact, we become far removed from the target.
2: Now, this is the point where I get all emotional at the end of the episode, at the end of the season. I, uh, I want to thank Sophie so much for being my partner in crime. I
1: want to thank you. Thanks, Steven.
2: <laughs> it's really been so much fun with you, Sophie, in, uh, in creating these podcast episodes for everybody. Uh, and I'm really excited to continue making them with you next season.
1: Likewise, Steven. I find this really meaningful. We would like to thank the AAAEE for their support. And also a special thanks to our colleagues Marianne, Per, Lena, and Peter. And of course, to all of our fantastic colleagues that have engaged with us throughout the season.
2: And of course, we should thank you, our listeners, for your support and engagement in our first season of the podcast. We look forward to bringing you new episodes starting in September.
1: So until then, we want to wish all of you, our listeners, a happy summer. Yeah, I
2: agree. And we really hope that the podcast continues to
1: inspire you throughout the summer to
2: advance sustainable solutions in your own life. So with that, Sophie and I sign off for this season. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank
1: you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.